Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And it's Tuesday, which means no cousin Shane, but we got our guy, Stephen Lassen, going to go on a deep dive all around the SEC. And he's even got some bold projections for us. Never quite done that, but it's bowl time now. So uh, getting down to the final stretch here. So Interesting thoughts from Steven. We'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, a lot of quarterbacks banged up around the SEC. So let's get the latest on that from Brian Kelly. Florida desperately needs a win. LSU playing at home. Tiger Stadium. Will Jaden Daniels play against Florida? Yet to be determined. But here's what Brian Kelly had to say about it on Monday. Jaden Daniels this week and uh, what the plans are for him and then your thoughts now that uh, on the hit and anything that y'all might review at the office yeah I think he's I would consider him day-to-day he's going through uh, the injury protocol uh, and he's made improvements uh, and but this is a process that we'll just have to you know see how it plays out from day to day but I can tell you that he's made some some progress And, of course, uh, he was going to be asked about targeting and all that. Should that have been targeting, all that? So uh, here's Brian Kelly on the hit that uh, knocked Jaden Daniels out of the Alabama game and and virtually made it to where the Tigers had no shot in this one. Yeah, look, (laughs) we want to protect the quarterback, and and certainly there was a penalty on the play. Um, You know, targeting is is looked at by the reef play officials uh, they had plenty of time I think we even went to uh, there was a time out there as well so there was plenty of time to look at it um, they 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 must have felt that there wasn't um, targeting we sent it into the league office um, because we we felt like uh, it uh, checked all the boxes but um, again um, you know we want to protect the quarterback here obviously all right, so no surprise. I mean, he was not going to bury the refs or anything like that. But uh, I don't know. I kind of I feel like he's biting his tongue a little bit there. But is what it is. Uh, another quarterback, speaking of Alabama, may not be suiting up against the Crimson Tide. That's Devin Leary, who got hurt in the Mississippi State game last weekend. Mark Stoops playing coy, which kind of leads me to believe even more that uh, Devin Leary may not suit up. Here's what Mark Stoops had to say on his starting quarterback, Devin Leary, on Monday. Great game. Are you all hands on deck? Yeah, we're, we, we should be. I mean, we'll see. It's, it's Monday, and there's always some bumps and bruises, but everybody is this time of year. And uh, we'll see where we're at. Mark, did get something in his eye? Was it a head injury? Do you expect anything yeah. long term? Yeah, I just um, – Again, I, I already commented on that once. I'll, I'll just stay away from it. I mean, yeah, he was having a hard time reading off the off the uh, wristband at that particular moment. He could he could read it now. So again, not a ton there. These coaches sensing a theme here, not wanting to give crucial information away, and that's the same thing with old Jimbo Fisher, who uh, you know, there's all kinds of reports that Max Johnson's got a. Cracked rib, broke rib, something, something's up. I don't even know if that's officially what's up with him. But uh, here's Jimbo on Monday on the status of Max Johnson going into this Mississippi State game. And 
Remember, they're down Connor Wigman already. If they're out Max Johnson, down to third-string quarterback, could make things dicey going into this critical Mississippi State matchup. Date on Max Johnson and Le'Veon. Yeah, Max. Ma- Le'Veon uh, got tackled. He's walking around. I mean, he didn't, it was not a, it's not a terror, no surgery. Just he was looked like some of the swellings really come out. So hopefully we'll be you know go day to day on that. Max finished the game with had a couple tough shots, but we'll wait and see how it goes. But he should be good. I mean, I'm planning on him playing. Hopefully, we'll see as it goes day by day. And then one more that I uh, this. This clip I was just too good not to play. I didn't. I thought, but uh, Sam Pittman was asked about, you know, that end of the game situation. If you missed it, Florida was driving, trying to get uh, down there to to kick a field goal, game winning field goal, and they complete a pass, and then they run their field goal unit onto the field, and Graham Mertz is <laughs> trying to spike the ball, so he's waving them off. They had about twenty, twenty two players on the field at one point, which. I would imagine is a substitution. So Arkansas was trying to substitute. They got flagged for for too many men. Uh, Florida got flagged for uh, I I don't know exactly what it was, but I I think it was you know obviously for having twenty two players on the field at, at all this madness. There was eight seconds on the clock. The clock was running. The refs decided that wasn't really running because it was a first down, even though the clock was running. And they gave him an opportunity to kick the game-winning field goal, which they missed, which set up the overtime that Arkansas won. So explained all that to get to this quote from Sam Pittman. I just thought this was fantastic. The other one was just um, they had made a mistake. Uh, they didn't go into substitution protocol. Um, and their opinion and my opinion, if they would have, uh, eight seconds to get their basically their field goal unit off the field get their team on the field, give us three seconds before we have to substitute. Those eight seconds are gone, and, and honestly, that field goal attempt should have never been attempted. Luckily for us, um, I don't know how you feel if the good Lord has an opinion about who wins or not, but um, he got a lot of things going on. But um, lucky for us, and I hate it for the young man, but luckily justice was served on that one. Sam, you got a <laughs> the ball don't lie as they say and it, it certainly didn't in the swamp last weekend but uh all right we're gonna get into that and a lot more with our buddy steven lassen senior editor over there at athlon sports all right so it's a tuesday so you know what that means on the show it means it's a steven lassen tuesday senior editor over there at athlon sports steven what's up buddy Hey, Mike. It's good to be back. Thanks, as always, for for having me on. What a great weekend of games. I mean, starting on Saturday early with uh, Arkansas, Florida, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, continued in the afternoon with Georgia, Missouri at night, uh, Alabama, LSU. Just a an all-around excellent weekend of games in the SEC. I can't wait to to get to this weekend's games, too, because it's, it's another great slate. Yeah, I... I can't remember, Stephen, the last time the uh, the noon window had three games, SEC games, that went down to the wire like it did uh, last week. So uh, maybe we just start right there. Uh, the, the one that was just – I didn't realize these two seemed to hate each other as much as they do. I knew the coaches did, but uh, Ole Miss hangs on to beat Texas A&M. Wild game. Ole Miss had the momentum early. A&M comes fighting back. 
And A&M actually had a lead late in this game, but uh, Ole Miss... Here's the thing. I, I heard it described this way, Stephen. Let me know if you think this is accurate. Ole Miss, under Elaine Kiffin, they know how to win these games. They've, you know, I'm not sitting here saying they win every game, but they, they know how to win these tough games that go down to the wire. And at A&M, they just they don't know how to do it. And I think it's as simple as that. I think what's what was telling to me about the game, and I think this is some credit to Texas A&M. I thought once Ole Miss jumped ahead and when they were attempting that field goal, that it was going to be a blowout. And so credit to A&M for, for coming back and, and fighting and make it a, uh, a four quarter game because early on it looked like Ole Miss was about to run away with it. But, you know, I, I think in the kind of my, my takeaway in this game was, was sort of what you were hinting at. And that is simply just finding ways to win in the sec sometimes is hard and if you're Ole Miss, you're staring at the, the month of November with a trip to Georgia and the look ahead factor. And, you know, you're playing a team when, in Texas A&M that, you know, the defensive front matched up well against um, against the Ole Miss rushing attack. Simply just finding a way to to win is a big deal. So I think credit to A&M for fighting in this game, making it a four quarter game, but also credit to, like you said, Ole Miss finding a way to also win a close physical contest with a major matchup looming uh, and a lot at stake in the month of November. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that game even featured uh, a nut shot or two. So, I mean, that was, <laughs> it was just yeah. wild, but uh, I mean, I, it kind of goes without saying, Stephen, we're, we're kind of done with Jimbo Fisher. We have been for a long time. I, have you, I don't know if you've seen this stat, Stephen, I'm going to, I want to have a little guessing game here with you. They're power five coaches with the worst record the last 18 games against power five opponents. Uh, who do you think is is dead last? And I, I'll give you a hint. He coaches in the SEC. Is it Clark Lee? Yeah, or yeah, okay. yeah okay. you nailed yeah. that. Okay, so yeah. he's, he's two and 16. So he's, he's the worst. The next worst coaches in the Big Ten. Do you have any idea who that is? about Tom Allen of Indiana? Yeah, you nailed it. He's 3 and 15. So he's the second worst. And then there's one in the in the Pac-12. Who do you have any idea who that is? So this is spanning uh what what years would this be spanning? I guess uh the the last two and a two two and a half years, last 18 games against Power 5 opponents. I was going to guess Jed Fish of of Arizona, but they're a lot better this year, so that's probably not a good guess. No, it's uh, Justin Wilcox, four oh, okay. and fourteen. But then here we get to the Jimbo Fisher ring. <laughs> Jimbo, hey, you, you, we just glossed over old <laughs> SEC friend Justin Wilcox too. <laughs> <laughs> J- Jimbo Fisher six and twelve in his last eighteen Power Five, and there's three other that are right there with him: Stephen Dino Babers, Syracuse, Matt Campbell, Iowa State used to be a hot candidate, and then. No Shiano, Greg Shiano down there in Rutgers. But in what world, Stephen, is this acceptable where Jimbo is, is right here with Matt Campbell, Dino Babers, and, and Greg Shiano? It's unacceptable. And I, I think what, as you were talking there, the first thing that went through my mind was those jobs are often really difficult jobs. Vanderbilt, Indiana, California, Iowa State, and the others. Those are hard Power 5 jobs. 
that's not the case at A and M. You, you know, the the talent, the money, the resources, uh, the willingness to build championships. That is Texas A and M. And I, I, you know, we've said it a lot. Jimbo has just not adapted throughout his career, and I think it, they had to force, uh, you know, an, an offensive coordinator hiring just to get him to make some tweaks. I think if you wanted to make the case of why he should come back next year, it simply starts with they've, you know, they've lost some close games to good teams. Uh, they have Connor Wigman coming back. They'll probably bring in some good recruits from the portal or on the recruiting trail. But this also gets at the the old Miss game. They have to beat some of these teams at some point. They've been trending in the wrong direction. When you're going three or four years without finishing in the top 25 at Texas A&M, that's a real problem. You, know, you can look around the rest of the country, too. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian has Texas in the mix to make the college football playoff in year three. Uh, Mike Norvell is uh, year four at Florida State. Brent Venables, uh, you know, they they lost last weekend and lost two in a row. But before then, they were in the in the mix to to be a playoff team this year, too. So there are a lot of alarming signs to me at Texas A&M. And to me, it's just going to be the same old, same old next year if Jimbo Fisher is back. Yeah. And speaking of alarming, Stephen, Arkansas goes down to Gainesville, <laughs> wins in overtime, first win ever in the swamp. Um what thoughts on Arkansas and their offense uh, with a new offensive coordinator, Kenny Guyon, the, uh, the, the interim, I guess we can call him that, but uh, that, and uh, God, this, there's been a lot of them, Stephen, but this may be the worst loss yet for Billy Napier. Yeah. I think maybe it's easier to start with Arkansas because I, I think let's give some credit to the Razorbacks for this season, continuing to, fight and continuing to show up every week despite the losing streak despite the disappointment despite everything that's gone on to go down to the swamp with an interim offensive coordinator and i know florida's not it's not your it's not top 10 florida like we've seen in the past that's still a really good win uh for a team kind of in this position so i think a lot of credit goes to sam Pittman and the staff to to go um with an interim offensive coordinator to go on the road and to to put up the numbers that they did offensively, I mean that was their with their season high against an FBS team and in, in in points and and rushing yards and and total offense, averaging six point one yards per play. I think one of my favorite uh, things about that game was the fact that you know, hey, game on the line. KJ Jefferson basically just said, "Look, I got this. I'm going to win this game for us." And in overtime, you know, he took you know he took the ball and and they went down a course and scored. So that looked like the KJ Jefferson we thought we would see earlier this year. So I think a lot of credit to Guyton and Pittman for getting Arkansas back on track. We'll see if they can continue to build on that, but fresh, fresh start, fresh energy. It made a big difference there for the Razorbacks on Saturday, just like Sam Pittman was looking for. Yeah. You just got me thinking about something here, Steven. And again, complete hypotheticals here, but I'm just curious where you go because this, you know, not a lot of people talk like this, Stephen, but this is a reality of college football in 2023 and moving forward. But, um, you know, this this is the first time KJ looks like KJ, I thought. Agreed. Maybe that LSU game, he was pretty good. But, I, I mean, this, this was vintage KJ. And I don't know. I don't know if he's got a future in the NFL. And 
that's not me slighting him because I I don't think you can find someone outside of that state, Stephen, that's that's on the KJ train more than than me. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I mean, and hell, he may have I hope he does have an NFL future. But you know, he's gonna get a grade at the end of the year, and it's probably gonna tell him a, a low round grade. And he still has a season of eligibility because of the COVID year. So I'm about to throw a lot at you, Steven, so be prepared here. But A, should he return, do you think? Because I think this year has hurt his stock considerably, and it's probably not even his fault. It's because of the coordinator. Um, and should he return? That's that's A. And if he's expressing any interest in returning, I think you got to bend over backwards to make him happy because that – I think we're we're in dire straits without KJ at, at Arkansas. So if he let's say he does express he wants to come back, how involved would you have him in? in you know, certainly you're not going to let him pick the next offensive coordinator, but I would imagine you maybe you bring guys in and you you sit KJ there with him. You know, I mean, I I don't think that that's going too far. Uh, or or C, and this is the part where I was saying, you know. This is how people are talking now, so I think it, I think it's fair game. Now I, I want him to I want him to stay at Arkansas. I want him to be an Arkansas legend. But should he decide to come back, and should he decide, you know, I think I hurt my stock here this year. I'm going to go into the portal, and someone's probably going to pay me, and, and they'll they'll pay him at Arkansas too. So I'm not saying they're not paying him, but he'll he'll probably get a million dollar offer in NIL, and he'll get to choose somewhere. By God, imagine if it was like Georgia or something or, or Tennessee or, you know, I'm just completely speculating, LSU. But all that, would you return? How involved would you be in letting him pick a, or, or involving him in the next offensive coordinator? And could you see him jumping in the portal and, and going, to, going that route? I think the last one might be the easiest one to answer uh, first is because I think if you're KJ Jefferson and, you know, I mean, first of all, I, I think you mentioned Arkansas legend. I would, I would argue he's probably an Arkansas legend already after leading that win to, to Florida, considering the circumstances of where Arkansas was coming into that game. But I think if he wanted to enter the portal, I think he'd be one of the top quarterbacks in the portal this off season. He would have suitors, power five teams, playoff contenders, um, you know, other contenders and conferences. He, he would be highly, highly sought after. If, it, if I was KJ Jefferson, I would probably come back. And I think for, for the reason is, and, and it goes with your second question there. At North Carolina, Drake May lost his offensive coordinator. And at, you know he lost uh, Phil Longo to Wisconsin. There's another uh, former SEC friend there. Mac Brown involved Drake May in that coaching search. You know, they wasn't necessarily that he was picking the offensive coordinator, but he was involved. I think if you're Sam Pittman, Keeping Jefferson number one, if you're there, if, if you're Sam Pittman and you are the Arkansas Razorbacks head coach next year, your path to being the head coach in 2025 starts with KJ Jefferson. So I would say whatever you got to do with NIL, involving him in the coordinator search, however you have to keep him, you know, whatever, if he wants to learn more, this concept, that concept, whatever it is, I think you pitch that to him. He can be involved in the coordinator search because really, his performance next year probably dictates Sam Pittman's stock uh, for 2025. So I would like to see him come back personally, just as a fan of of w- loving watching him play. 
Um, and I think it would it'd make Arkansas uh, a lot more competitive, even even though Jacoby Criswell, uh, the backup, has some interesting uh, skill set. Je- Jefferson is just one of the best in the country. Yeah, everybody loves the backup till he's actually playing. You know I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, God, there's a massive drop off, you know? Yeah, I think we could safely say that uh, KJ Jefferson, uh, you know, this coming into the season, I had him top 10 in the country. I, I would have him probably top 15 despite all of what's happened this year. I think if he comes back and they get the right coordinator, I think he can rebound. And, you know, I think let's, we, we talked a little bit about this. I think Sam Pittman, the fact that they fixed the defense, I guess to, to some extent this offseason would give me confidence that he can go out and hire a coordinator. If it's Guyton or if it's someone else, they did, they did a good job of hiring assistance for defense. And I think you have to be, if you're an Arkansas fan, maybe encouraged that Pittman could do the same offensively and also take that side of the ball to the next level next year. Yeah. And, you know, so on the other side, Stephen, tough loss, Billy Napier. I mean, they, they have to win one of these games here to make a bowl. And they got, um, oh, I'm blanking this week. LSU and at Missouri, LSU, Florida State. At Missouri. Yeah. yeah. Florida State was at home, but they're on defeat. I mean, good God. And I don't know if you saw this, uh, stat, uh, Stephen, from a friend of the show, Zach Goodall over there at uh, Sports Illustrated, who covers the Florida Gators. With one more loss, which is, I mean, given that slate, is almost guaranteed, Napier would be guaranteed to possess the fewest number of wins of any Florida head coach through two seasons on the job since Charlie Pell in 1979-1980, who went 14, eight, excuse me, eight wins, 14 losses, and one tie. So, I mean, we're we're setting records here under Billy Napier, and, and they're the wrong kind. You know what? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've had a, I've been wrestling with in my mind while watching Florida this season is preseason expectations kind of put them at five and seven, six and six. So the destination may end up where we thought, but I think it's the path that may concern you a little bit because it does feel like they're making the same mistakes over and over again, and especially on special teams. And I think this offseason is going to be pretty important uh, for Napier for a little self-reflection on, you know, where wh- where does he see himself as a head coach in this conference? Because I think he's got too much on his plate. I mean, trying to be offensive coordinator, not having a uh, special teams coach. He's got, with as many staffers as they have, they should not be having – people with the same number on the field, all the penalties that we've seen. So I think some reorganization of your staff. I also think I would agree with Napier in the the rebuilding project, though. You have to build through the freshman ranks. Um, you know, we look at what Georgia, look at what Alabama, look at Ohio State, Michigan. You build through through your freshman classes and you supplement through the portal. So I, I agree with that approach. I think the problem is this is Florida. It's not a, a second or third tier job in college football. It's one of the top 10 to 12 in the nation. And, you know, at some point your positivity, your recruiting momentum has to start translating into wins and more proof of concept. And we've seen bits of that. We just haven't been able to see it um, over the course of the full season. So, you know, losing record last year on track, uh, I think fair to say to have another one, this year. So I, we're kind of in this weird space where I just, I don't know what to, what to make of them because it, it does feel like the the direction is right. But at some point they, they are going to have to take a big step forward. And 
you know, the, that, that step forward may just be youth next year turning into more production and maybe a little bit more usage of impact players from the portal. Yeah. Well, somewhere where they don't got those problems, Stephen, that's in Athens because uh, them dogs w- just win again. That's all they do. Even when they don't play their best, they still find a way to, uh, you know, not only win, but win by a, a rather convincing, convincing fashion here. But, and not that they blew Missouri out. Cause I thought, you know, I thought the biggest takeaway, Stephen, was that Missouri's legit. Like I thought they were. And, uh, you know, toe to toe with the best of the best in Athens, certainly some, some calls, interesting calls. <laughs> we'll just put it there. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that cost Missouri the game, but it's sure as hell didn't help. Uh, what was your takeaways from, from Georgia winning 30 to 21 over Mizzou? I think it's another indicator of why I like Georgia as the best team in college football. You know, they're tested time and time again, and they keep answering the bell. We saw this in the second half. Game kind of hanging in the balance. Georgia answers the bell. Defensively, they step up with a couple plays. Carson Beck and the offense do just enough. Um, you know, I would say it's probably not Georgia's best game. But also, I think Missouri played a lot of, uh, of you know, played a role in that too. So I think you're, you know, you're, we've, we've talked a lot about Georgia and kind of where they are this year. I think they're still molding into the team that can win it all because of some of the injuries they've had. We've seen McConkey play well the last couple of weeks. Brock Bowers will be back. Um, Jamon Dumas Johnson will certainly be missed if he misses a couple games. But this is a team that's got, um, they may not be as good as they were last year, and I, I think that's probably true, but they are also good enough uh, to win it all. And when they've been tested, they keep answering the bell, especially in the second half. Yeah. And, and what about Missouri? They're showing in this game. I thought they were particularly strong on the line of scrimmage, got after Carson Beck. Uh, they, they were able to run the ball quite effectively on Georgia's defense. I don't, I don't, I didn't certainly didn't see that coming. And, uh, you know, Brady Cook, not his best day, but it, I mean, hell, he was making some tough throws out there too. And, and I don't want to call it improvising because that's the wrong word, but I mean, I'm thinking of three or four snaps. It's like he didn't even know the ball was there and it, it's in his hands. And, and usually that's a recipe for disaster. And he was converting them into first down somehow. So I, I thought a strong showing and, you know, I don't believe in moral victories. I'm not calling this a victory, but if I'm a Missouri fan, this gives me confidence that we can beat everybody else on the schedule. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I actually moved Missouri up in my rankings. I, I I don't know why they were penalized so much in some of the the AP and the coaches. I moved them up. I actually have them, I think, at 12 in the country. Um, they they acquitted themselves well against the number one team in the country, and, and frankly, two years in a row. Uh, you know, so I think that's a, that's a credit to, to Eli Drinkowitz. And, and I think if I was you know, a Missouri fan, I would be encouraged with the the staff hires, the fact that they're recruiting well, you know, the, their work in the portal. You know, they seems to have good Blake Baker and Kirby Moore were two good coordinator hires, and they seem to be hitting on some of their personnel evaluations through the portal and certainly um, recruiting. I, I thought my big takeaway from this game and from Missouri is I, I just want to take a second and just appreciate the season that they had. And I think we, we often... You know, we talk all the time about how, you know, what does this game mean for the playoff? What does it mean for this championship? I mean, Missouri could win 10 games for the first time, I think, since what, like 2014 or so. And they've taken the number one team in the country to the brink two years in a row. And this was a team that had expectations of being a 
five, six, seven win team by Vegas. And we're talking about them as potentially a 10 win team, maybe 11 if they win their bowl game this year. So Saturday's game did nothing to, I think, take away from the season that Missouri had. If anything, I think it only added to it because of how well they played uh, against the team that that I would vote uh, number one in the country. So I think just an appreciation for Missouri and what they did. Well, and I think it also just goes back to the idea that not everything has to be about the playoff. We can appreciate the season that Missouri had. And because they don't make the playoff, it doesn't mean they're a bad team. In fact, I think their showing on Saturday should get them more respect than they're getting. Yeah, and um, it, it's got to give you a confidence in the future, I would think, under Missouri football. Because, hell, you got to remember, I mean, coming into this year, he was on one of the hottest hot seats in the SEC. And, um, I mean, I, I think he's probably the front runner right now for SEC Coach of the Year. 100%. I, I would vote Eli Drinkowitz uh, SEC Coach of the Year at this point. And and kind of, kind of like I was getting at, you know, I think if I was a Missouri fan, I would have come into this year sort of uncertain about where things are because you just hired a new offensive coordinator from Fresno State. You had a quarterback last year in Brady Cook who was banged up and, you know, he didn't play well. And, and frankly, we all probably should have talked about the shoulder injury a little bit more uh, considering how uh, significant it was to his performance. And this year they've now, they've taken Brady Cook from, you know, 13th, 14th in the preseason and quarterback rankings to a, a guy who could be all SEC by the end of the year. Uh, the defense under Blake Baker got a lot better last year and is still solid this year. So th- they, you know, if I was a Missouri fan, like the future looks very bright here. Like Drinkowitz came into the season on the hot seat. He could be coach of the year. And I think you feel better about a lot of these things uh, going forward just because of how this season has played out. Yeah. All right, so I don't know if you could tell, Stephen, but I've been delaying because I don't, I don't want to talk about this. But Alabama keeps on winning. It's what they do. They give you hope. If you're an opponent, that they, that you, that they can be defeated. And, they, I mean, right out the gate, LSU stops them right down the field. It's like, by God, LSU's going to do this. And even right before <laughs> halftime, going the length of the field in a minute, touchdown. They come out the other side, touchdown. LSU's cooking, but really they were just cooked because Alabama dominated the second half again. Um, I just saw this stat. I I don't fact check anything, Stephen. I just share whatever I'm told, but this sounds right. Against Ole Miss, A&M, Tennessee, and LSU, Alabama's four toughest SEC games to date. Alabama's outscored them in the second half, 82 to 13. My God, that's, that's impressive. You know, that – as much as it pains me to say it, Stephen, that's championship football right there. It, it is, and and I think the the interesting thing about Alabama is, you know, at times this year they have been so inconsistent, and it's kind of like Georgia; they just find a way to to meet the moment, to do what they need to do to win the game, and they step up at the uh, when the stage is the biggest. And certainly that was uh, Saturday night. That, that the first half of that game was fun. I mean, you had Jaden Daniels and Jalen Milrow just going back and forth and the, the high level at which both were playing. And it looked like it was going to be an all-timer, uh, the like a 42 to a 49 kind of game. But I think to go back to the the preseason uh, the, or the pregame discussion about this, the weakest link on the field was LSU's defense, and they just could not get a stop. I mean, uh, you know, Alabama, what, 11 of 14 on third down conversions, Jalen Milrow's, 
efficiency, just taking what LSU was giving him, uh, the plays where he was about to be tackled and flips it to the running back for a big pass. You had the, the plays on the ground by Jalen Milrow. So, you know, Milrow's a guy that I think my confidence level in him gets more and more. Uh, it gets higher every week, and certainly we've seen what Alabama's defense can do. So it was a great first half. Uh, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more uh, fireworks, but I think basically uh, that uh, almost – locks Alabama in for the SEC West Championship. And is Matt House reaching Marcus Satterfield uh, range for you, Stephen? I think Matt House is a better coordinator than that. Um, I, I am puzzled as to why LSU has been so shaky on defense this year. Now, granted, they are missing Makai Wingo, and they've had a lot of misses in the secondary. And I think that's that's the one area, especially a team like LSU, where you they have so much um, pride in their defensive backs, and they've been so nece- needed, necessary to go into the portal uh, the last two years. You know, it was more one-year fix last year. This year, it was more multi-year fixes, and you know what the status of Deuce Chestnut and and Denver Harris, and one of the, the corner from Ohio State gets hurt and is out for the yeah. year. So they've had bad luck. Uh, with their their portal uh, gets a corner and and I think it's in fairness to Matt House I'm I'm uh, I would probably give him a little I, well I don't know LSU fans probably aren't going to give him <laughs> too much time here but I, I would like to see what he could do with with a more functioning secondary this year but the the regression has been very alarming across the board for that defense now how about uh, Kentucky beating Mississippi State twenty four to three on the for, on the road I mean I think the nicest thing I can say is they Snap their Starkville losing streak, but uh, man, this is this was a hard one to watch for me. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say uh, that twenty play, an eighty eight yard drive that uh, Mississippi State had, I think it was, was a nice <laughs> audition for the Big Ten West because that was the kind of ball that Northwestern <laughs> and Iowa were playing up at Wrigley on uh, on Saturday. But no, you're right. I mean, it was it was a hard one to watch at the same time as uh LSU Alabama. You had LSU Alabama on one screen with both offenses just going back and forth and uh you know Kentucky and Mississippi State struggling to get to 300 yards uh offensively. So just totally different worlds at the same time in the SEC. I think the takeaway though for me is it, we talk about how hard it is to win. Well, Kentucky goes on the road to a tough place to play, gets a victory where they clearly don't play their best. And I think that's a that's a a big deal for Kentucky just to snap the losing streak this season, snap the losing streak on the road, and and to get the victory and to get to six wins. So I I think just getting the victory is a big deal for Kentucky. On the other side of things, the uh, the offensive woes for for Mississippi State just continue. And you look at the schedule the the winnable games are are starting to get smaller as uh, as we get deeper into November and trying to get to a bowl game. Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, Stephen, 1 being not likely at all and 10 being, you know, an absolute lock, what percentage do you give Zach Arnett of returning as head coach of Mississippi State next season? Man, that's a tough one. Um, Oh, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably go, I'd probably say above maybe 50%, like so maybe like a six at this point. I think you know these next three games are going to be pretty critical, obviously. Uh, Southern Miss should be a victory, and then Ole Miss. 
in the season finale, the Egg Bowl. Like if you can beat Ole Miss at your place, you know that probably solidifies um, Zach Arnett's uh, case to come back next year. I think if you lose all three of them, I think there's definitely a, a coaching change. I also think too, there's also the the look test, if you if you will, like how how are you playing? And and certainly they did not pass that on Saturday night. They they just looked very listless offensively. Um, you know, if they get Will Rogers and, and Woody Marks back this week, that could be significant as they go to Texas AM. But I think right now, I and mean, it's kind of to me, it's like it's 50-50 kind of hanging in the balance just because of uh you know, you, you work for an athletic director that didn't hire you. And the performance this season, I would argue, is underachieving relative to to the talent that they have in the program. Yeah. Uh, another game where it was not very competitive. Auburn beats Vanderbilt 31-15, but it was, it was kind of the Jarquez Hunter show. He just ran wild, and then they, I think they kind of parked the bus to uh, borrow a soccer term there. But the, they didn't really have to do much. You know, and as soon as it, Peyton Thorne threw a pick six, I think they were saying, all right, that's enough of that. <laughs> Yeah, for for sure. I, I think the takeaway is kind of like my takeaway for Kentucky is that Auburn just went on the road and got a good win in SEC play, and they moved one step closer to a bowl game in, in Hugh Freeze's first year, which is the goal. And so I, I think to your point, the encouraging thing, if you're an Auburn fan, is the play of Jarquez Hunter the last couple of weeks. The big plays, the production, it's all been there. Um, you're starting to see some good signs out of the running game. Passing game. Still needs some work, whether it's the drops by the receiver, quarterback receiver on the same page, whatever it is. You mentioned the pick six. It was it was horrendous. There's no other way to uh, to get around that if you're Auburn. So it, I think just finding ways to win with the personnel that you have this season is key for Auburn. Jarquez Hunter is a big part of that. Must win game, and they got it. I think that's the takeaway for me for Auburn. Yeah. And Tennessee won by nearly 60 points. What a performance, Steve. What a performance against you gone. I get it. Yeah. But uh, any, anything stand out for, for you in that one? Absolutely. I'll say it again. How about some Joe Mintum? Uh, Joe Milton <laughs> played well the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, it, you know, I think I think maybe you or I could have probably uh, hit one of those passes <laughs> to wide open receivers. But no, I, I always think for for Tennessee and, you know, it was important too for South Carolina, a game you were favored, get the victory play as many people as you can and don't get anybody hurt. And that kind of a game could be important because of the stretch that Tennessee has coming up with Missouri and Tennessee. So the timing of it was helpful, uh, but Tennessee did exactly what they needed to do in a game they should have dominated. Yeah. Speaking of a game you should have dominated, but didn't there, Steven, South Carolina, Jacksonville state 10 point win 38, 28. But really, if you, you know, if you paid close attention, if you actually watch this game, Jacksonville state was going for the win. They were down three. And they threw a pick six in the red zone. Heartbreaker for old Rich Rod, who uh, may be the next Mississippi State coach. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, uh, man, I I don't know. I thank God they got Spencer Rattler, and thank God they got Xavier Leggett. He's awesome, even though he's banged up. Because if they didn't have those two guys, I I don't know if South Carolina would have won a game this year. Yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I, I think my my uh, the the funniest thing was I was going to say they they won with defense because they of course they returned to pick six and after all that criticism this year that uh, they did the defense came through. But no, um, it was a game that South Carolina had to sweat probably way more than you probably wanted to. Um, you know, during the week there was some I think chatter about Jacksonville State being a 
you know, potential upset pick, someone who could at least cover. And their style of play is difficult, you know, just with the the way they can run the ball and kind of possess it. They didn't necessarily control time of possession on Saturday, but they they're they can be pesky because of their style of play. So to to your point, the takeaway for me is it wasn't maybe South Carolina's best game, but they still won. And Spencer Rattler and uh, and Leggett were awesome. Uh, we need to get Tonka in the end zone uh, for South Carolina, <laughs> but but avoiding the upset. Escaping disaster is probably the best thing you could say uh, for South Carolina. Yeah. Well, and then we're going to do, you've got some bowl projections, Stephen. But before we get to that, real quick, I wanted to ask you just, you know, thoughts on speaking of South Carolina, and we got a couple more here for you, but let's just stick with the Gamecocks for now. But what, how likely is it that you think that the Gamecocks do make a bowl? They got three games left, got to win them all. But they're all at home. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Clemson. You know, I you could talk me into they they can beat all those teams. But you could talk me into probably losing the two of them. So I I don't I don't know where you at with the Gamecocks. Probably about I guess maybe over just over 50%, uh, you know, maybe like 52, 53 confidence level that they will get to a bowl game. Uh, saying all that, I would say after last weekend's games, my confidence level dwindled just a little bit because of how they played. Also, Clemson took care of business against Notre Dame. So a finale that looked a little bit more winnable a couple weeks ago, Clemson played pretty well on Saturday. We'll have to see if that carries forward. But I think the fact that these games are at home, and we've mentioned it, just how well Shane Beamer's team seemed to play in the month of November. If you can get Juice Wells back, if you can get some guys healthy at the line of scrimmage, I think South Carolina can win all three of these games. So I, I think they're right there on the bubble for me, like 52, 53% that they will get bowl eligible. But you, but you do think it probably Clemson is the toughest uh, hurdle for them? Yeah, I think so. I think just the way that Clemson played last week and the way that Clemson's built, especially with their havoc that they can bring um, on the defensive line, could be pretty problematic. Now, saying all that, South Carolina had a pretty impressive win last year uh, yep. in in Death Valley. So the, I think the if this game was on the road, I think I would be a lot less optimistic. But I think the fact that South Carolina could be five and six, and I like I like desperate teams in in the final week of the season. I think South Carolina, that gives them a chance to steal that one against Clemson. Now, how about uh, same thing for Arkansas? Likelihood, them making the postseason, same scenario. They, They got three home games, but they must win every single one of them. Auburn at home this week, Florida International the week after, and Missouri there to close out the regular season. How likely is it that you think Arkansas makes a bowl? How about a bold prediction for you? Oh, <laughs> let's say this: Arkansas beats Auburn. They find a way to beat Missouri. Yeah, I like I like desperate teams going into that final week of the season. Arkansas sitting there at five and six, need to fight to get bowl eligibility. I think I've heard five and six, a team that needs <laughs> to win in the Arkansas Missouri series before. So, how about that bold prediction? If Arkansas beats Auburn, I think they can beat uh, Missouri and get to a bowl game. Uh, now, having said that, though, which one do you think is the tougher matchup? Is it Missouri? Who I I could certainly, you know, I think that that is right as of today. You could easily make that case, and and you'd be right. But Missouri's also got Tennessee coming up, Florida coming up, 
And if they drop one or two of those, I mean, who knows? It could be a, a really rattled team. So taking that into consideration, it, Auburn or, or Missouri, which one is a tougher hurdle? I think it's Missouri just because I think I think Missouri is just a better team. They just present more challenges um, for Arkansas. You know, I think Arkansas, the way they match up against Auburn this weekend is pretty interesting. And I think if they can just keep that momentum going offensively and with some of the offensive issues that Auburn has had, um, I would feel fairly optimistic if I'm Arkansas about that game. The Missouri one seems a little tougher to me. Right. Now, we've already kind of hit on Florida a little bit, but same thing with them. But a, a little bit different scenario. They've got three games left. They only have to win one. But <laughs> it's uh, an unforgiving schedule. At LSU, at Missouri, and Florida State. What What's your confidence level that Florida can get one of those? Pretty low. Uh, I think that's the the – the thing that disappoints you probably if you're a Florida fan was the Arkansas game was the most gettable game that you could have down the stretch. Um, you know, at LSU this week, we'll see if Jaden Daniels plays for LSU on the road at Missouri. You know, you mentioned the stretch for Missouri. Does that catch up to them at all? Florida state, you know, it, the last year's game was a little bit back and forth in, in Tallahassee, maybe this year in Gainesville, if you're Florida, you can get some revenge over your in-state rival. Um, you know, as as strange as it sounds, if I was a Florida fan, that Florida State game in the finale might be the one you can maybe steal because of the other two are road games. But I would say before last week, fairly high confidence level. I would say it's dropping, uh, especially after Saturday's loss for Florida to get to a bowl game. And then last one, Mississippi State. They need to get two here at A&M uh, this upcoming week. Southern Miss at home and the Egg Bowl Ole Miss at home. Confidence level that Mississippi State finds a way to turn things around and win a couple games here. Pretty low. Uh, I think optimistically, Will Rogers, Woody Marks, they spark the offense. Maybe they can steal the Ole Miss game uh, on Thanksgiving. I think they, they will definitely get Southern Miss, which means one of the two, they have to find a way to pull off an upset. So I, I think fairly low confidence at this point for Mississippi State to get to six wins. Mm. I can hear I can hear that fairly low in your voice, Stephen. Not yeah. not looking good for that. Yeah. So <laughs> am I uh am I crazy on any of those or you think that's pretty would you agree with those? I mean I'm trying not to get too excited about Arkansas. You might be crazy, but I've said the same thing. So uh if you're crazy, so am I, but that that's not saying much because I think I yeah. But uh yeah I I and I kind of feel I I don't know I don't know what to make of Florida Stephen I really don't but I I think they steal one I don't know if it's you know they might I hate you know you you hate injuries but that could really help them this week if Jane Daniels doesn't play and for some reason I think they can beat Missouri um I don't think they I wouldn't pick it but I wouldn't be stunned by it either if that makes sense you know no I, I think that's that's totally fair and I think that's one of the things that I wrestle with once we get into November and we start looking at bowl projections, because it does feel like somebody's going to get picked off in an upset. I don't know where it happens sometimes. And it's, it's sort of like, you just have to leave the door open because we're going to get a little chaos. And to your point, you know, Florida with, with Jaden Daniels injured and, you know, you look at the, the rest of the slate, you know, they have to play at Missouri. And of course they get Florida state. I think they could, pick off one of those. I don't think it's crazy. I think they couldn't. And I think the same thing could be said for Mississippi state, you know, desperation in the egg bowl to trying to get 
six wins. I don't think that's crazy to think that we're going to have an upset or two uh, when, when, especially when rivals play with something on the line. Right. And, and <laughs> one other Dabo, quiet. I'm going to name, name him Dabo if he keeps barking. <laughs> but uh, that's South Carolina. If, if they can beat, surely they can beat Vanderbilt. If not, we got real problems. But if they can get over Kentucky, because there's bad blood there, and Kentucky's owned them. Hell, Clemson has too. But <laughs> if they can beat Kentucky, I think I, I'm going to give them Clemson, I think, because I think they'll have some confidence. Because they there just seems to be some bad mojo right now. There's injuries. There's there's just a lot going on in Columbia, and they, they need some momentum. And I, you know, I'm trying not to be completely disrespectful to Vanderbilt, but I, I don't think that gives you momentum. I really don't. I, I think you got to beat Kentucky. And if you can get those two in a row, I really think they Clemson, they're a joke. Come on, come on, that's a win. You know what? I think the the important thing, um, we're at that point of the season where you're trying to win and extend your season. Right. Because each each win starts stacking up to get those practices for the bowl game and you get a you get a postseason trip out of it. So it's sort of like a mini playoff um for South Carolina. So I, I think to your point, they're they're obviously that they'll be favored to beat Vanderbilt. I think the question is, can you get healthy and get just get better at the line of scrimmage? We've seen some things they've been when they had the full lineup out there, they were able to do some things offensively, uh, especially against Florida. If they can get Juice Wells back, all of a sudden that makes those last two uh, more winnable. And and to your point, I, I kind of forgot about the whole stoops and and uh, Beamer, uh, you know, sunglasses and everything else. So it could be a could be a spicy uh, November 18th uh, meeting. It could be a little chilly in Columbia. It could be pretty spicy between the two of them. Yeah, and I, that was the last thing I was going to say on it, Stephen, where it's not the ho- season you hope for for Kentucky, but I bet you this is one that would be so sweet for Mark Stoops. If he can crush South Carolina's postseason hopes, I think he's going to want that one more than um, short of maybe Tennessee and you know, this weekend was would be a signature win. But, I mean, at Georgia, obviously. But aside from those, I, I think South Carolina's one he wants more than, than short of almost any other. You know what? As long as he doesn't follow that up with a loss to Louisville, I think Kentucky <laughs> fans would probably agree with you. <laughs> Take a little break from the show to remind you all that we're brought to you by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today and put in that promo code, that SEC. They're willing to give you... Right now, our listeners' exclusive offer, the 200 cash bonus, 200 bucks to gamble with today over at MyBookie for anybody that uses that promo code, that SEC, T-H-A-T-S-E-C. There's also a link in the show notes to do this over at MyBookie. Sign up for a new account. Get that 200 cash bonus with that promo code, that SEC. This is the number one way to help the podcast stay independent Take advantage of this sponsorship opportunity. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports over at Prize Picks with that promo SEC. They're willing to match your initial deposit up to a hundred bucks. So you're gonna put in a hundred, you'll have two hundred to play with at the PrizePicks.com Daily Fantasy Sports. And once again, take advantage of these sponsorship opportunities. Help the podcast grow. And stay independent, most importantly. 
Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the games here this upcoming weekend. See, we got some good ones here. And I want to start with Ole Miss at Georgia. Game of the week. CBS used up too many Georgias already. So they've kind of ruined themselves. Otherwise, this would be a CBS game. But, uh, you know, thoughts on Ole Miss going down to Athens? Athens, Cousin Shane said it best. I don't I don't know if you're a fan of the Predator movie, Stephen. But, uh, you know, when they find out, hey, it, it bleeds. If, if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> That's what he said about Georgia. <laughs> Nobody can kill Georgia, but it does look like Georgia can bleed, so to speak. So, um, and and I like I like a lot of what Ole Miss has. They're very balanced. I think Jackson Dart's playing his best football. They're getting their receivers back. Uh, Priest Corn at tight end has been huge for them. Judkins is running harder than he's ran since last year. So there's there's optimism in Oxford. They ain't scared of the dogs. Now they everybody says they ain't scared till they play them, and then they get scared pretty quick most of the time, unless you're like, Missouri. Like the but, whole Mike Tyson thing, you know, you were you were good <laughs> with him until you stepped in the ring, and then you had to. Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what's your thoughts on this showdown? And uh, heck, I mean, it's an outside shot. I get it, but I think if Ole Miss wins this game, I think they deserve playoff consideration. And and again, they may not get there, but eleven and one with a win over. The best team in the country on the road. I think that's going to be better than any win anybody's got. So uh, if chaos ensues, I think Ole Miss deserves a playoff spot if they win this and win out. And not to mention, if they are 11-1, and um, I guess short of Alabama losing its last two games, they wouldn't have to play in the SEC championship game. So they could be the biggest Georgia fan to, to root to, for Georgia to beat Alabama. So there's a lot at stake here. Uh, for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Uh, so I, I think, first of all, the, my question you know, for Ole Miss is, you know, Missouri wasn't intimidated by the environment, I thought. They went in there and they played well on Saturday. Um, if you're Ole Miss, can you go in there and can you do the same thing? Can you meet the moment? Because Georgia's going to – we know what to expect out of Georgia. 
they're going to find a way in the second half to, to probably win this game. So I think if you're Ole Miss, I think there are some things that you can do that we've seen teams take advantage of and try to, to beat Georgia. And I think some of that's quarterback runs. We saw Brady Cook do that on Saturday. We saw Peyton Thorne uh, when they when Auburn played Georgia. So you're going to need to get Jackson Dart involved on the ground. Uh, Quinshaw Judkins, he's been coming on strong the last couple of weeks, like you mentioned. Cody Schrader found some running room, too. And so I, I think if you're Ole Miss, you're looking at this going, arguably, we're probably better offensively. Um, and we've got – we. I, I mean, am I crazy to think that Ole Miss has a better quarterback and and uh, running back than Missouri here? Uh, no, I mean, Brady Cook's played outstanding, but no, I, I think I would tend to – the combo, certainly I would lean Ole Miss for sure. Yeah, I, I think so too. And so I think if you're Ole Miss, that's the argument. Like you have Jackson Dart who's improved, he's grown as a passer, you have – better running back than Quinshaw Judkins. And that's no disrespect to Missouri. They, they, they you know, think Ole Miss is just a little bit better. Um, I think if you're Ole Miss, you can use some of the things that Missouri did. You can maybe hit some big plays in the passing game. Uh, Trey Harris, you know, making ridiculous catches on the sideline, one-handed maybe, maybe needed again uh, for Ole Miss. I think where, where I wonder if Ole Miss can match up will be defensively. Are you able to, especially because that second half against Texas A&M was pretty shaky, are they going to be able to go into Athens and get stops? And I think that's the big question for me in this game is what can Ole Miss do defensively to match what Missouri did, get some pressure on Carson Beck, and try to try to steal one in Athens? If it is a shootout, and I'm not saying it will because Georgia's got a great defense, but if it's a shootout, what's your confidence level that Carson Beck can um, outduel uh, Jackson Dart? Pretty confident. Um, I, I think we've seen that, you know, kind of like what we were talking about a, a little bit ago was it seems like every time when Georgia is challenged this year, whether it's South Carolina, it was Carson Beck in the second half. It was Auburn. It was Carson Beck to Brock Bowers um, on Saturday. You know, I don't I don't maybe he didn't have his best game on Saturday, but I still think the, the combination of the weapons and his ability. I still think that I would have a lot of confidence in Georgia to answer a potential high scoring game with Ole Miss. And of course, yeah. too, hey, Brock Bowers may come back. Uh, it, who knows? You know, uh, we haven't gotten a, a, there's no definitive uh, timetable on him. And of course, uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson being out for Georgia could be pretty significant too on the defensive side. Right. But they're getting innovative. Don't forget. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how about uh, how about Tennessee at Missouri? I think this could be a heck of a game. Missouri opened as a slight favorite. So it already immediately shifted to Tennessee. And, uh, I, you know, I think this is a true co- coin toss. And I don't know. I mean, you could easily make the case Missouri's been the better team. I think you could also say Tennessee's heating up at the perfect time. So Tennessee's dominated Missouri back-to-back years, but that doesn't mean anything for this year because, again, Missouri's significantly better than they have been under any time under Drinkwitz. So uh, thoughts on this matchup? think if you're Missouri, you can't let Georgia beat you twice. You know, you can't have a hangover from losing to Georgia and let it hurt you here because the path to winning 10 games goes through Tennessee and it goes through Florida and it goes through Arkansas. You still have a lot to play for here. And looking ahead, you know, we talk about Ole Miss and and potential being a playoff spoiler. If Missouri wins out, they could be sitting there at top 10, top 12 at the end of the year. And that could mean big things for maybe going to like the Peach Bowl, 
could mean the Cotton Bowl. So there, there's still a lot at stake here uh, for Missouri. So th- this feels very even at first glance to me. Like you have two teams that you know, we know Tennessee, the, the rushing attack has been there all season. Milton has been playing better. I think there seems to be some confidence in the receiver play over the last couple of weeks too. Tennessee has scored 60 points in back-to-back games against Missouri. So there's a lot of, uh, I would say, a lot of motivation for Missouri defensively to show up this week too. So this one feels very much like a coin toss. It almost feels like to me which quarterback steps up and delivers in the clutch because these two teams can kind of go where the quarterback goes. And so does Milton play well on the road or do you have Brady Cook at home uh, rebounding uh, after the loss to Georgia. I think it's pretty even, and it's a pretty fascinating matchup. Would you agree, though, that, uh, at least in my mind, the biggest mismatch potentially in this game, Tennessee's defensive backs going up against Missouri's receivers, I, th- I think that heavily favors Missouri. That could be a real problem on Saturday. Yeah, it, it really can, and especially since Haddon's out for the rest of the year. You know, to, I mean, going on the road to play Burden and and some of the other weapons that uh, Missouri has, it is going to be a, a a real challenge. But I think if you're Tennessee, maybe the counter to that is you know the pass rush has been there all season. So to, to some extent, if you can get some pressure, can you create some havoc? You sort of protect your secondary. So line of scrimmage really on on both sides of the ball critical because Tennessee's going to have to find some ways to protect the secondary and to get after Brady Cook. And then I think if you're Tennessee, you know, uh, you know, or certainly Missouri, like how do you slow down that uh, that running game for Tennessee? Uh, because we've seen, you know, Milton has been playing better the last couple of weeks, and so I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Tennessee approaches this game. Does Milton get off to a fast start? Do they lean on the run? Can Missouri force Milton to beat them through the air? Um, there's a lot of interesting matchups, but it all plays really off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that Joe Mentum. That you've coined, right? <laughs> I mean, how how much the last two weeks, and I and I realized, or I guess three weeks, yeah, go back to Alabama, even though that was a loss. But how how much of the last three weeks has changed your opinion, if at all, on under Joe Milton going into a big matchup like this on the road in the SEC, and gives you confidence that he can win it. I I feel better. If I'm Tennessee, and I I have more confidence in Tennessee's passing game here. Now they may come out and they and they may struggle on Saturday. And it may have just been a you know kind of a a fluky stretch of ball here for the Volunteers. But I I think just you know when you go into Tuscaloosa and play well, and I think that would give him some confidence and, and Kentucky to go on the road and and uh, and play Missouri well. So I, I have more confidence, and I I think Tennessee we've seen them too. When they played Texas A&M, they were, you know, A&M was strong up front. They still found ways to move the ball on the ground. I think they can do that to, uh, here as well. All right, how about this matchup, Stephen? Alabama going on the road at Kentucky. So an opportunity for the Crimson Tide to lock up the West Division. Kentucky, uh, you know, get some momentum. One last week after three straight losses. This is another one. We don't know fully the status of uh, Kentucky quarterback Devin Leary. He got... Uh, knocked, not was knocked out. Is the right word because he he did come back and play, but then they took him out quickly after and, and didn't play again. Um, that, what's your read on this game? Any any shot? Let's just assume Devin Leary plays because that I think without him it's it's an easy one. But any shot that Kentucky uh, you know shocks the world and, and can knock off Alabama? 
think a slim chance, but I think anytime, you know, Alabama playing LSU now going on the road, you know, you always worry about a letdown in these cases for any team in the country, regardless of whether it's Alabama, Ohio state or whoever it is, after you play a big game and then you go on the road, we've also seen Alabama be a little inconsistent at times. You know, the, the full 60 minutes sometimes haven't been there. You know, the the longer that Kentucky can make this interesting and, and maybe they can find a way in the fourth quarter to keep it close, they have a chance. I think a lot of it goes back to, number one, like you said, Devin Leary has to be healthy. And number two, they've got to find some ways to get Ray Davis going because that run game just hasn't been there the last couple of weeks. And, and it's a pretty heavy lift uh, for Kentucky, I think, to, to win this game. They're probably going to need some breaks, maybe like a special teams touchdown, maybe like a turnover or two. Um, but right now, with the way that Alabama's been playing, may not be consistent, but I think they'll find a way to win here. And just go with me here. I, I listened to everything you just said, Stephen, but let's just say Kentucky does it, and they, they win. Again, this is not the season that uh, any Kentucky fan really wanted outside of that Florida win. <laughs> but... uh if they were to get this massive upset here, does that kind of uh, – not that he needs a clean slate, but to, but is it kind of like – is the season – I don't know if it's success is the right word, but, I mean, th- this would be the biggest win over, under Mark Stoops, I have to believe. And I, I guess the real question is what would that do for the Kentucky program, do you think? I think to to your point, you know, we, we had talked a couple weeks ago about – where Kentucky is under Mark Stoops. And and I think, you know, I don't think he's a top 10 coach um, in college football, but I think he's one of the top 25. And I think the, the, the levels at which he's raised the program, you know, I think it's fair to wonder, like, how do you go to the next level? Well, you go to the next level by beating Alabama and you get him at your place. This is arguably not one of Nick Saban's best teams, but they're getting better during the course of the season. So if you can win this game, you can find a way to win. Um, I think it only solidifies uh, sort of the probably the credit that Mark Stoops deserves at Kentucky. They're they're, they're kind of like Missouri at Georgia. They're playing with house money here. They they have they're the underdog. They have nothing to lose. Everybody's going to pick Alabama. Uh, I, you know I I'm picking Alabama, so that they have nothing to lose here. If they win, it would be one of those upsets uh, that we haven't seen this year that we could get on Saturday. Yeah. All right. How about this one, Stephen Auburn at uh, Arkansas. Hugh Free, Sam Pittman, round two, different teams, but round two. Played last year, Liberty beat, upset Arkansas in Fayetteville. This one's also in Fayetteville, of course. Arkansas has to win to, to keep their bowl hopes alive. Auburn, still not bowl eligible. They need a win, even if they don't get it here. They got New Mexico State coming up, so they're feeling pretty good about that. But uh, thoughts on this matchup, uh, you know, a fairly limited Auburn team, I think it's fair to say. Um going up against uh, a Razorback team that's that's got new life. Yeah, I think desperation is probably a fair term for both here because if you're Auburn, you're trying to get to six wins. If you're Arkansas, you're trying to get to six wins too, but you also have a very narrow path. Like every game is a mini playoff uh, for this team. So I think desperation for both. But I think, you know, there's also like this game on paper just looks pretty even to me. Um, you know, I know Auburn's pretty limited. And what they can do offensively, Arkansas has been good against the run. It's a good matchup for Jarquez Hunter. Uh, can Arkansas continue the 
momentum that we saw offensively against Florida? Can they build on that here against an Auburn uh, defense that's stronger in the secondary than they are against the pass? So I think a lot, there's a lot at stake for both teams, but also in the big picture, I want to see any kind of growth from Auburn's passing game, any kind of growth from Arkansas offensively. They had two weeks to get ready for Florida, a little bit quicker turnaround here. Um, Auburn now has a week to adjust too. So there's some interesting intricacies in the matchup but, uh, between Auburn and Arkansas. What if, uh, I mean, is it a, as simple as, and this is not simple by any means, but if you could slow down Jarquez Hunter, does Auburn have any shot in this game? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think if if you're Arkansas, I think you have to aim to slot to stop Jarquez Hunter because if not, I mean the you know the growth of the offense for Auburn revolves around you know the run game and getting Hunter going. You know, saying that I think Peyton Thorne at times this year he's been able to get something uh, going through the air. But they have been just so inconsistent in the passing game, and it's not all in the quarterback. Some of it's it could be scheme, it could be pass, you know, it could be the pass catchers, it could be the offensive line. They're just not there yet in the passing game. So I think if if I'm Arkansas, I want to put them in long yarded situations throughout the night, and I want to make them beat me through the air. Also, I think in a tight game like this, like we saw this against BYU, whether it's turnovers, special team stuff, short yardage, if you're Arkansas, I think you need to check all those small boxes. In a game like this, one or two mistakes could be pretty significant, I think. Yeah, and you know, one thing I was, this is probably way too early to even ask you this, Stephen, but if Let's say Arkansas, what they score, 30, did they score 39, 30, yeah, 39 against Florida. It wasn't overtime, but but let's say 36, because that's what it was in regulation. If they average something like 36 points per game to close it out, do you think there's a shot that Kenny Guyon is, is your next offensive coordinator? I think so. I think there's a chance. I think you have to be impressed with him, you know, um, to be able to be a first-time play caller, to go on the road and the offense to look better in in a situation against, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say Florida is one of the better defenses in the SEC, but still, you're talking about going on the road to Gainesville and having a good showing um, with you know basically being handed the, the playbook in two weeks and being able to cut it down and to get something going. Um, I thought I was really impressed by him. And he's a you know, he's a former quarterback at Ohio State, so I think that certainly helps the the connection with KJ Jefferson and sort of understanding where this offense needs to go. This is a it's a three game audition for him uh, to be offensive coordinator. Uh, if if I think if he continues to impress Arkansas's offense, continues to get better, I think you absolutely have to consider him for the full time job. Mm-hmm. All right, how about uh, the team they beat last week, Florida, going on the road at LSU. Again, we don't know. Uh, Brian Kelly came out today and said it'll be about Wednesday before we know. I don't know what that means, but I, I guess maybe con- concussion-type deal. But uh, So I don't know where you want to go with this one, Steve. Maybe we two different ways. If Jane Daniels plays, thoughts on this game. If he doesn't, does it change anything? I, Garrett Nussmeyer you know, one of the better backups in the SEC. He's not quite as, as, as experienced, but we've seen him on the field and we've seen what he can do. He's not Jane Daniels, but he's he's not awful by any means. So uh, what's your thoughts on this one? And again, this is one where Florida desperately, uh, they need a win and, and maybe they can steal it here with in a rivalry game. 
How about I don't know if you saw this, Stephen. LSU's won four in a row against Florida. They've never won five. So this this could be an opportunity for some history here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is and and not wanting to to you know root for any kind of injuries or anything like that. But I think if you're Florida, you would probably rather play Garrett Nussmeyer. I, I think Jaden Daniels is either going to be first or second team All America by the end of the year. Not a slight on Nussmeyer. You would just rather play the guy that you know has doesn't have as many starts, isn't as dynamic on the ground as Jaden Daniels. So I think if you're Florida, it gets a little easier if you play Nussmeyer. I think Daniels and his ability to move, to make plays, carry you know the the rushing attempts, a little harder to defend. I think Nussmeyer would be a little bit easier of a matchup. I do think if you're Florida, there should be some optimism that they can move the ball through the air. Because, I mean, we we talked about how bad LSU secondary has been this year. And, you know, Graham Mertz and uh, Pearsall and Wilson, you know, that trio, and you get the ball maybe to ETN in space um, and, and get him some matchups. I think Florida can move the ball. And we've seen in this series weird things happen. It's been, a, you know, it's been crazy. Like you said, LSU's won four in a row. I think LSU at home is going to be very difficult to beat. But if I'm Florida, there's the uh, kind of hint of desperation here and maybe the anger, the hungry, you know, be hungry to rebound after last week's disappointment to go on the road and play well at LSU wouldn't surprise me. And I think they can score. I just think it's probably going to be tough to 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 win in Baton Rouge. So I like LSU in this one. Yeah. All right. And then how about this one, Stephen? I've been calling this the fired bowl. Mississippi State at A&M. Uh, the losing coach <laughs> should not be brought back. Shouldn't even be allowed to do his post game presser. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I was going to say if Jimbo loses this one, <laughs> considering how Mississippi State has played, they probably should do the Brett Bielema thing, where they just politely <laughs> escort him to a room uh, off off the field at at Kyle Field as soon as the game ends and ask him what what bank account would you like the buyout wired to? <laughs> because it needs to be uh, over after this one. So. You know, I think what's what's funny about this series is if you, you know, if you haven't kept up with it, it's it's fine. Mississippi State's five and two in the last seven against Texas A and M. They've had good success in this series. Now, a little bit different story this year uh, with the offensive struggles for for Mississippi State. I feel like a big mismatch is going to be A and M's defensive front against Mississippi State's offensive line. Um, also, Mississippi State's secondary has struggled going up against Max Johnson and Aya Smith, and we'll see if Evan Stewart comes back this week. There's a lot of uh, matchups in here that don't favor Mississippi State in a game that, frankly, both coaches really need to win. Yeah, I mean, that's understating it. You know, I, yeah. I, how ridiculous. You just said it, five and five and two in the last seven with a quarter of the budget. You know what I mean? Like, God. They ought to when they fire Jimbo, they should just hand him that piece of paper that says that. You know what I mean? Like, this is why we're firing you, buddy. You know that that one in this and the stat you started with uh, on the show, uh, <laughs> yeah. because it, it, you know, I mean, if this one was in Starkville, considering A and M's road struggles, I'm you know, red sirens would be flashing here for potential <laughs> uh, upset for for Texas A and M. But I mean that that sort of underscores it. I mean, Mississippi State does a good job of maximizing what they have. In previous years, A and M, no doubt about it, they've underachieved under uh, Jimbo Fisher with all the resources in the world. Right, and and to his credit, they've not quit on him. But 
they might in, in a scenario like yes i'm just saying you know if it's that's what i always look for when a coach is about to get fired if, if the team's quit on them and yeah. they didn't quit on them that was they hot they they fought hard as hell against old miss but then they lost so all right final one here steven vanderbilt at south carolina Whew. speaking about getting fired come on beamer come on who who are you gonna blame if you lose this one you know what yeah, I'd, I would say it's probably advisable for Shane Beamer uh, to win this one. Number one, for what we talked about earlier, you know, trying to extend your season. In fairness to South Carolina, they've had a very difficult schedule this year. Expectations were around five and seven, six and six. So they're not necessarily too far off the pace, but they can't lose this game. You can't lose to Vanderbilt. You can't be Vanderbilt's only win in SEC play this year. I don't mean that disrespectfully to Vanderbilt. They're just not very good this year. So. Uh, it's a must-win game in a series that South Carolina has dominated. And I it's almost as simple as this for me. South Carolina has Spencer Rattler, and they have one of the best receivers in, in the country right now, and Xavier Leggett, and I think that's just simply the difference in a game. Yeah, and, and you kind of gave some predictions there, Stephen. Any of these, uh, you know, like I like to ask you, that, that you're extremely confident that you know who will win as of uh, Monday evening here again, without knowing some of these quarterback availabilities and then maybe, uh, you know, where a game or two that you're least confident about this weekend in the SEC. Yeah. I think the, the ones that I'm probably the least confident in Tennessee at Missouri and also Auburn at Arkansas, they feel very much like 50, 50, uh, toss ups. The other games I actually feel pretty good about, uh, uh, who I think is going to win. I think that's A&M, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. I, I would say Ole Miss and Georgia is probably closer to somewhere in the middle of high confidence and low confidence is probably a little bit closer uh, to the middle. But I, I feel feel better about picking the winners of those five. <laughs> All right, then as promised, Steve has got something unique for us here. SEC Bowl Projections. I know you do a deep dive on all this stuff over at uh, Athlon Sports, uh, you know, this time of year. So what have you got for us uh, in the SEC? And you could just, I guess, start at the top, you know, the, the more marquee type bowl games. Who, who do you got there in the SEC? Yeah, let's start at the college football playoff. I've got Georgia playing future SEC opponent, I guess, SEC cousin this year, Texas, <laughs> in the Sugar Bowl. Wow. That, that would be the one versus four matchup because I'm taking Georgia to be the number one seed eventually in the college football playoff. Man, Sarkeesian against Kirby. That's that's a heck of a matchup potentially with uh, Quinn Ewers and that defense. You know, even Texas defense is pretty good, I, th- I believe. A- absolutely. Yeah, that Texas, the defensive front for Texas kind of may have won them the game on Saturday against Kansas State and, and was a reason they are in this uh, discussion this week for the <laughs> college football playoff. But um, for Georgia, you know, basically a home game uh, essentially at the Sugar Bowl to be the number one seed, uh, that'd be a pretty big deal for them. But it'd be a fun matchup if that's what it works out, especially with what's looming in uh, in 2024 with these two teams. Yeah, and and I have heard, Stephen, that, uh, you know, again, I don't follow the playoff stuff as, as closely because I'm just so SEC-centric, but I've, I've heard that the Big 12 needs help, that uh, even a, a Texas, if they won out and won the conference championship, what – how confident are you that they make the playoff? Is it, I, I guess I would imagine it helps them massively that they have a win at Alabama. Who's now kind of red hot. 
Absolutely. I think if you're Texas, you are probably the biggest Alabama fans in the world right now. You want them to keep winning. I I feel pretty good about the Big 12 champion, this being Texas, chances to make the playoff if they win out. Two losses, it gets very dicey, but I think 12-1, and one, Big 12 champion with a win over Alabama, I would put Texas in the playoff. Um, you know, Ohio State still has to play Michigan. Um, we're, we're, we're not done with the losses at the top, I think. So who is your other SEC playoff team? No other playoff, <laughs> yeah, no other playoff teams yet. Uh, but I do have some good news if you're an Alabama or Ole Miss fan. I've got you in the New Year's Six after this week. I got Alabama in Nick Saban's favorite bowl game, the Cotton Bowl, playing old SEC friend Dan Lanning and Bo Nix. Bo Nix versus Alabama. That'd be a fun storyline. And yeah. uh, Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl against Penn State, another old SEC friend in James Franklin. Mm. Uh, what would it take for... Uh let's say Missouri or Tennessee to, to nab, I guess either one of those, but I, I guess the one that I'm really looking at is Ole Miss. Cause I, you know, I, I'm just looking at the three teams that are having good seasons, but are very unlikely to win a division. What, what would it take? Cause, cause we have to assume in this scenario that Ole Miss loses at Georgia. So they're, they're sitting there with two losses. Mizzou and, and Tennessee both have two losses. Um, what's what's the likelihood that one of those two can steal that spot? Pretty, I would say very likely that um, one of those SEC teams is getting into the New Year's Six as we stand right now. I, I think a lot of those teams that are like 10 through 25 in the rankings, a lot of those are going to play each other and there's probably going to be a lot of losing through there. I would say if you're 10 and 2, the odds of you getting to a New Year's Six Bowl are pretty good. So I think if you're Missouri... That's sort of the goal the rest of the year. Went out. If you went out, you could be in the Peach Bowl. Um, if you're Ole Miss at 10 and 2, even if you lose close, you know, and they finish 10 and 2, they're going to be in good shape to get to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Yeah. And that UConn win is going to help Tennessee. Don't forget that. <laughs> right. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, t- Tennessee's got some work to do, but a win over Miss- Missouri would certainly help them. And, and yeah. of course, a win over Georgia uh, right, would help right. them out a lot, too. Yeah, that's kind of okay. I overlooked that one. Yeah, all right. Move on. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Move so, on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got a couple spicy uh, uh, bowl games here. Uh, how about the uh, the bowl game formerly known as the Outback Bowl? It's the ReliaQuest Bowl if, you, if you're scoring at home. Uh, it's Notre Dame versus LSU. Ooh. Brian we've Kelly. We've seen that a couple times before, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. With, with Brian. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. You got me interested in that. <laughs> that that'd be a good one. Yeah, I talk about like spicy uh, coaching matchups, Brian Kelly against his old team. I mean, this is what yep. we need in bowl season. We need some fun. We need some intrigue. <laughs> uh, I also like Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl against everyone's favorite offense, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Oh so. <laughs> Man, Hypo will outscore them in the two possessions. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, that could be. That's like one of the best defenses in the country against one of the high, most high scoring offenses in the country. It's the, it's the contrast in styles, but man, I got to tell you, if you haven't watched Iowa's offense this year, <laughs> man, <I>, you can introduce to it in the bowl game. And you're like, how do people watch this for 13 weeks of the year? <laughs> oh, I'm dreading it already. Yeah. Hey, it'd be a good season though for Tennessee. If they got to the citrus bowl, that puts them at probably 10 and two or nine and three. So, yeah. Um, 
Let Nico play in the second half. That's yeah. all I got to say about that. And, and that's a good point because teams in bowl games, the four game cutoff doesn't count. So any freshman or somebody you're redshirting that hasn't played this year can play in a bowl game. So there's even even more incentive for, uh, for some intrigue in some of these uh, postseason games, keeping it interesting at least. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought about that. It's a good point. So uh, a couple more here for you. I got the Gator Bowl. Uh, speaking of intrigue, about some good news in Missouri. About Missouri versus Clemson in the Gator mm. Bowl. I think that could be fun. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure SEC fans wouldn't mind sending Dabo home with a loss there <laughs> in Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, also, I've got Mississippi State versus West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl. Now, I know we just talked Mississippi State not being um, bowl eligible, but they're on the bubble right now. As long as there's a, there a chance for them to be in a bowl game. I'm going to include them in the SEC Bowl predictions. Auburn versus Wisconsin in the Music City Bowl. Uh, Duke versus Kentucky in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I mean, who who wouldn't want to see Mark Stoops, Dallas, and Mayo? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah I'll sign up for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a Duke versus Kentucky. It sounds pretty good in basketball, too. That's a that's another uh, interesting <laughs> yeah. point about that one. Uh, yeah. In the Texas Bowl, I've got Oklahoma State versus Texas A&M. Uh, could be, you know, old Big 12 rivals meeting up in uh, in Houston. And mm-hmm. finally, Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl against Georgia Tech. So Ooh. Arkansas, South Carolina, just off the the cutoff this week because of the of where, um, you know, if you want to throw maybe Arkansas in the Birmingham Bowl or South Carolina there, that would be your cutoff at this point as far as available sec games and teams there's scenarios i think where you could get 13 teams bowl eligible and there's scenarios where the sec might fall short in bowl eligible teams this year yeah i was talking to an arkansas fan last week and they were just like man i don't want to go to birmingham like they were like we're too good to go to it was like you you probably not gonna make a bowl you know this is before the florida game like they're like yeah but it's just funny how fans get where you know, they're, they're already picking their bowl game. They're, they're not even bowl eligible yet. But, hey, postseason is postseason. It helps you with practice. It, it helps you in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, and I get people frown upon them and everything. But one last opportunity for you to watch your team this season, you know, and uh, it, it is what it is. I I know I enjoy the heck out of them. And, you know, you know a, a lot of people say they're irrelevant. I get it. But you lose it. <laughs> oh, man. There is there is hell to pay for these coaches if they don't win these games too. You know what? Right. It, that that's the thing is the bowl games are largely irrelevant, but they still mean something. In the, <laughs> like in the context of the season, they they can really set the narrative for you know, they played terrible in such bowl game. The defense was awful. Now you know, the it keeps the message boards alive for you know uh, three more weeks. But hey, it's more football in, in December and January. I mean, what's, you know, to me, it's like, let's bring, bring them on. I want to watch every team one more time in a, in a bowl game. So I, I'll never complain about how many bowl games there are. Right. And one thing before, I'm sure people will ask about this, Stephen, but last year, I think it was the first one ever. It was the Las Vegas bowl that they had in the, the, the new Raider stadium. That is, it's not sec every year. It's, it's every other year if I understand it. So no, you didn't mention that, but it, that'll be on the rotation next year. Right. Absolutely. So that that's a key point is that game, um, I guess, switches with the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So it's gotcha. Big Ten. It's Big Ten in the Las Vegas Bowl this year. 
it was Big Ten in the bowl, in the Duke's Mayo Bowl last year. So they'll switch next year. Um, that is something that next year with the 12-team playoff, it's a little murky how some of these things are going to work uh, as far as bowl games. But yeah, that's why the Vegas Bowl isn't in there this year. It's just that it's rotating with the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Right, right. Well, uh, Stephen, we went pretty long here. So uh, any closing thoughts before we jump off the line? Man, I'm looking forward to another great week in the games. You know, last Saturday was pretty epic. Like you said, the noon slate was awesome. Uh, the the high-profile matchups lived up to the hype. I'm hopeful that uh, Georgia Ole Miss does as well this weekend, and maybe some of these kind of second-tier games also do as well. I'm really looking forward to, to Tennessee-Missouri. I think that one's probably one of the more even matchups across the weekend with a lot still at stake for for both teams. Yeah, and the thing I love about this weekend's slate, Stephen, I mean, I I can have a a, a narrative for every single one of these games. They're all SEC. They're all critical for for one reason or another. And I'm like you. I, I'm not quite as confident in some of the winners, but I, I I'm torn. I'm torn on a lot of them, and I, I think that's going to make for a for a great Saturday. And and some of these teams, like an Alabama, like a like an Auburn like a Tennessee on the road, you may be, some of y'all may be leaning towards them, but uh, it, it is not easy to win on the road in this league. So that just compounds uh, the difficulty. So, and, which sets up for an even better week in my opinion. Yeah. And Hey, not to mention, we've only got what, four of these left, unfortunately, uh, counting the conference championship game. So I'm just trying to soak in and enjoy as many games as I can. Unfortunately, next the November 18th slate is a little light across the SEC. So we got to enjoy November uh, 11th, and then we got to enjoy the uh, the Thanksgiving uh, slate coming up. Yeah, we may, we may only spend about 10 minutes previewing that weekend of games. You know what? I think we may have to preview the transfer portal that weekend. For <laughs> co- coach, coach search weekend. <laughs> All right, Steve, before you go, can you tell the audience where can they find you? Where can they find your work? Absolutely. So um, you can catch me on YouTube. All CFB 365. Um, please come over, subscribe, and check out some of the videos we got there. You can also check out my uh, my podcast. Um, it's a Cover 2 podcast with Athlon Sports. Me and Braden Gall, we go uh, up on Wednesdays. We preview everything around college football, hit some of the big topics. So if you want to keep in touch with some of the things that's going on nationally, you can check us out at the Cover 2 podcast. You can follow me on uh, Twitter, at Athlon Steven, and uh, Stephen L CFB on Instagram, uh, threads, and TikTok. And I'm also on Blue Sky at Stephen Lassen, by the way. So <laughs> He's on all of them. So yeah. just follow him on each and every platform. But Stephen, oh. can't thank you enough. And uh, can't, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off uh, here. I, I was just going to say, man, I'm like the Big Ten. I'm like from like Rutgers all the way over to Oregon and Washington. I'm everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a good one, buddy. And uh, can't wait to talk to you next week. Absolutely, man. Thanks as always for having me on. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Appreciate it, as always. I hope you all got something out of that, because I know I do every time we speak with Stephen and have him on this show. But, uh, hey, that's all we got on this episode. We'll be back next. What what we're going to uh, plan on doing every Tuesday with the playoff rankings, we're going to go live. Probably should have led with that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Tuesday, just like last week, live after the playoffs predictions. Uh, we'll break that down live on the show and preview the week ahead me and cousin shane so be on the lookout for that tuesday night seven eastern six central it's about about when we'll go live uh but that's gonna do it 
Appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.